tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, tennis.com podcast from the U.S. Open. I'm here with Richard Pagliaro uh, in the bowels of Arthur Ashe Stadium. Interview room three, we found some a uh, little escape from the sometimes choking press room over there. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to talk today about obviously the biggest story of the tournament so far, and that's Andy Roddick announcing his retirement very unexpectedly. First, Richard, did you have any inclination of this at all? No, I yeah, honestly I mean, did not, no. Yeah, it's it's a thing that I think caught pretty much everybody by surprise. I mean, when you looked at the, you know, online within a few minutes of – the announcement you saw a couple stories that I think some people had some were given some prior knowledge, but it definitely wasn't anything that was sort of a, a story we were trailing going into the tournament. I think it was mainly given out yesterday afternoon. Um, a couple people may have got the lead on it, but other than that, it was really one of the more surprising announcements, especially because I think the the common perception was that he was going to pull out of his match potentially and not actually retire, you know, from the game, of course. But so I really wanted to ask you kind of some of your memories of Roddick in particular here at the U S open. You've been coming for a lot of years. I mean, I've got one kind of in my mind, but is there anything that strikes you right off the bat of him at the open? Well, absolutely. The 2003, the run to the title where, you know, to beat now Bandy in a match point down, two sets down, and to come up the way he did with those two mammoth serves in the breaker and then basically just wear him down in five you know, and now Bandian had been a Wimbledon finalist. He was a more experienced guy. And to win that match and then go against Ferrero, who would become number one in the world after that turn, you know, Ferrero had beaten Agassi pretty convincingly, and he just took him apart in that match. So that that really stands out. But there's a ton of night matches. Like I remember the match with Hewitt, the five-setter, where he got hooked on a call, a chair umpire overrule. I remember that when he ended up losing that one. You know, the Jills Muller loss, but then there's some great, great yeah, wins as well. Yeah, the one I remember actually very cruelly was a night matches because it was kind of one of my first night matches I even went to here at the Open was in 07 when he played Roger here, and this is Roger, you know, pretty much at his peak as well, and really this was a match that even and you can say this for a lot of Roddick's matches in career, they're, you know, perhaps you might want to call them good losses, or at least he looked good during some of the loss here. This one was, he goes down in three sets. The first two sets are over in breakers, and uh, neither player drops serve. Um, Just making, I hate to say he made Roger play look as good as Roger could look, but Andy was playing that well to being able to get to that point. This is, I think, still at the point when he was with Connor, still really, um, I think, pretty much the unquestioned best serve in the game. I think over recent years, a lot of people have gotten away from Roddick having that best serve of the game. Um, and, you know, back to going back to 03, like you're talking about at that point, he not only had the best serve in the game, I think he was considered to have one of the best forehands of the game, too. And that's been a huge theme that's really developed in his career where his ground strokes just haven't kept up with really the rest of the players. Yeah, I think what happened, in my view, what happened to him is he, he worked his butt. I mean, he worked really, really hard and he had such an intense guy. I think his game became a more well-rounded game. He added the, the slice, the chip backhand, which he didn't have right out of the box. And he became a little bit more, uh, maybe a little more court savvy, I would say. But the weaponry, like the huge forehand, where I remember Miami the year he blew Sampras away as a teenager in Miami, the forehand was just mammoth. And then it got to a point where 
you know, it was still a, a good forehand, but it was pretty much you knew when he was going for the kill shot, he was going inside out. So it was a little yes. predictable. But, I mean, that's not that uncommon. Like, Agassi had one of the biggest forehands ever when he came out, and by the end, he still had a good forehand, but you weren't, like, scared of the forehand, you know? Yeah, and, the, you know, the ground strokes, too. I think a lot of people got on him recently for, you know, the forehand that either was kind of too safe. The backhand really never really established itself as a, as a weapon, except for when you think back to the 9 Wimbledon final with Roger, where I think most people tend to give him that's the best match he ever played. And of course, yeah. being Roddick, he loses the match. He never loses serve until the end. But but that one, you know, b- besides the volley, of course, that kind of gets talked about, his backhand, the two-hander, was such a great shot oh, in that yeah, match. Absolutely. Winners, I mean, yeah. really just kind of doing, th- doing things in rallies that you would never really suspect from Roddick. And, and that was... You know, that's a match no one's going to forget either. No, right? and, and absolutely, because you watch Federer, and you Federer does not waste time between points. So it's a very quick, even though it's a five-setter, there's no down. You're not thinking. And that Roddick was able to sort of hang with the greatest improviser I've ever seen. And that, under that kind of pressure and hold 37 times in a row, I mean, it, it was just a championship effort. It's just a shame he happened to be playing against one of the greatest players of all time that day. Against probably anybody else, he probably wins that match. <laughs> I mean, possibly in in three or four right, sets too. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, what did you think about Roddick? Since you've been around this for a long, and I have definitely done some more pressers. Um, what do you think of Roddick? Kind of not as a player, but really as kind of that athlete persona. I think he was an incredibly divisive personality by the way he acted on and off the court. Um, when I was getting into tennis, I was a lot more into Federer at the start of his career. And I actually really just for a while didn't really care for Roddick because I think, A, he was a really good foil for Roger on the court. But just kind of the way um, that he, he composed himself, he certainly at times gave off that ugly American image, I think. Uh, I think over the course of his career, I've grown to appreciate Roddick a lot more. I think his press yesterday was really well. And I just think over the past few years, it's been a really a different player. But, um, you know, what did you think kind of – were you really a fan of Roddick's, I'm trying to say? I mean, as a, as an interview subject, I thought he could be um, incredibly candid. He could be a wise ass if he didn't like the question. But I, what I respected about him was he was pretty much a straight shooter. I mean, if you asked him a question and he thought it was a stupid question, he would tell you, well, that's a dumb question. You can do better. I mean, he was more sort of kept it real in that way. There was no sort of... PR facade with him. I mean, if yeah. he pretty much told you what he felt, which to me, that kind of continued a tradition going back to Gonzalez, Connors, McEnroe, Courier. They were all pretty brash, pretty much no BS kind of people. And I think he kind of, I mean, I'm not putting him in that Connors, McEnroe as a, as a champion, but I mean, as a person, you know, his personality was pretty much, you know, this is what I am. You know, you could take it or leave it. And that takes a kind of an individual character strength to be like, I don't really care if you like me or not. I'm going to be true to myself. And, and I respected him for that. Yeah, the uh, the 07 Aussie Open presser after he oh, gets beat by Federer is hilarious. the stuff. You got to watch that's, that. That's, on, that's, on that's a must YouTube, like right now. Just pause the podcast and, and draw that one up. That's, um, that's probably the best press conference i've seen in any sport period after that um that's roddick at his vintage best right there oh he could be combative but he could be incredibly sarcastic but he could be really disarmingly funny too he can make you laugh i mean and he would give it right back to you if there was sort of a give and take kind of thing you know he, just- he, he, i think he knows the media um the media and the media sort of game very well enough right. i think 
I think a lot of people probably see him doing something actually with that afterwards because you know he. Well, has, he's in the media now with that yeah. radio show, you know. Kind yeah, of. And, and I just think he, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a tricky word when you say athletes get it, but because you know from an American point of view, you probably only think that American speaking player or English speaking players sort of get it just because you can have that sort of back and forth conversation and really see how much they engage in the media. But, but Roddick certainly, um, I think understood the whole lifestyle and just kind of, you know, like, like you said, kind of played it to his tune really. Right. And, and the thing I liked about him in the press conference is sometimes there's that sort of invisible wall where they talk to you in the professional kind of way. Well, I've got a whole, and he kind of just knocked that down and he just told you exactly a lot of times, exactly what he felt. And you saw the pain, the humor, you know, the anger. I mean, he could be a pretty feisty, character there. I mean, there's stories about him after tough losses, like losing to Tipsarevich here a night match a few years ago, just coming and cracking the rackets in the locker room. So you hear all kinds of stuff about him, but I thought he was a real, a straight shooter, a guy that you ask him a question, he's going to give you a straight answer. Now, you guys might be listening to this podcast, possibly even after this match, possibly after Rock's retired, who knows, but, you know, tonight he plays Tomech and you know, I, I we were doing a thing with Pete Bodo yesterday, a little video, and talking about the subject, and we were kind of wondering, really, you know, with this sort of lifted off Roddick, there's really nothing to lose at this point, obviously. You know, d- what about him at this, the rest of this tournament, the last one of his of, of his career here? I mean, he is a guy who still beat Roger Federer this year. Sure. Um, you know, has. On a hardcore, too, in the United States. Obviously know? has the weapons, you know, still, you know, I guess what do you think about, what do you real, realistically think about him the rest of this time? You know, it's interesting, in the press conference yesterday, someone asked him that, could you make a sort of a run? And he said, if it was only my choice, you know, he kind of joked about that. I think he really doesn't know. I thought he handled himself real well in the conference. He didn't get teary. He was pretty much just direct. I don't think you know until you you get there and you hear 23,000 people going crazy for you knowing this could be the final curtain. I think, you know, he's human. He could get emotional, whether he can channel that into sort of positive energy or whether maybe that'll make him a little more sort of reflective and maybe, maybe hurt him a little. I, I don't know. I don't think he knows emotionally how he's going to react. The other thing was in that press conference, in the first two answers, he alluded to his health and, uh, you know, he wasn't specific about it, but for me, I think maybe he's more banged up than we, than really, he's letting on. Than, we, than he lets on because he's right. not a guy that, you know, alibis about injuries or he doesn't make excuses, but I think maybe he is more banged up than any of us really know. And which is understandable. He's 30 years old. He plays, he's a big, strong, physical guy. He takes a pounding, you know, he's not, like you said I earlier, wonder how the arm holds yeah, up. I mean, he's not hitting 20, 25 aces anymore. He's not even in the top 20 in aces this year. I don't think think if you check the stats the number of matches right he's played 35 36 matches so he's got to work a lot harder now for the points and if he is banged up you know i think emotionally it will be liberating for him and he will be pumped as he always is at night i just don't know physically i don't know his state i really don't it's gonna be must see tonight for that and you know i think i i do think he is gonna let a little bit of this out afterwards i think he's gonna kind of leave it all out there as they you know as they say and everything but um I think it'll be a little more of an emotional scene than Kleister's farewell here. You know, really not too, really sort of a kind of a state atmosphere, if you will. But um, I mean, and he alluded to it in the conference. Like he came here at nine years old, sitting way up in the chief sheets, said he snuck down. He snuck into the players lounge. I mean, the U.S. Open been a big, huge part of his career. And you could tell he has a great 
affection and appreciation, as did Agassi. Well, that's why Agassi wanted to end it here, you know. Yep. So that's... it makes sense in terms of career closure and circularity and, and just sort of ending where he started as a kid coming here saying, geez, one day I'd love to be out there on that court. And he did it. And exactly. you got to give it to him for that. I mean, or, how many of us or, did get or, to- or court thirteen when he had to play Ferrer last year? <laughs> exactly. Yes, one of the one of the probably the forgotten. Brian product. Early will never forget that one. I'm sure. No, it's one of the forgotten, but not to be forgotten product. Yeah, I'll never forget that moment either. That so was- anyway, but um, thanks for uh, catching up on on your Roddick memories here. We've obviously kind of kind of run the gamut here with the editors and writers, their thoughts on Roddick. Steve Tigner will have his piece too. Um, you know, in the uh, coming days. Depending on let's see what Roddick let's see what Roddick does. It is important to recognize he is the last American man to win a major, and who know? I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows how long it's going to go? But I think his status and his legacy may increase over the years if we go like go to appreciate him a little bit more. Because if we go through the drought like the British went through, you know, you never you never know. Yeah, because overall, I mean, he he does seem to be more panned than praised. I mean, yeah, he does. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see what happens there. It's a good thing to revisit, and uh, we'll do that soon. Um, so thank you again, Richard Pegaro and Mad McGrogan. We'll be back with more podcasts covered from the U.S. Open uh, as the term progresses. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 